There is nothing quite like the sound of a heart beating. It speaks of life. Doctors use their stethoscopes to hear that sound in a new life that has just been born. And they also use their stethoscopes at the end of life to determine when life ends. The heart is the central organ of the body. As long as it's functioning and beating, the person is alive. And when that organ stops functioning, life, on this side at least, has ceased. And the heart is so important and central to who we are in our human bodies that it has come as a metaphor to represent and to speak of who we are as a person. So we talk about the heart of somebody. We're not necessarily referring in those cases to the organ in their body, but rather who they are, their attitudes, their motives, their dispositions, their attitudes, what drives them, what makes them who they are. Well, what is the heart of the Holy Spirit? We've been looking at the book of Acts over these last number of weeks at what it means to be filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But when the Spirit fills us and empowers us and we begin to live and move in the work of the Holy Spirit, how does that shape us? How does that change us? When the Spirit of God is at work in us, what is that going to look like and sound like? What kind of people are we going to become? When we come to know Jesus as our Savior, that God just begins that work in us. But that's not the beginning and the end. It's just getting started good. And what does it look like as the Spirit of God works in us? What is His heart? Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. As you turn there, background to this passage. Peter and John been to the temple in Jerusalem, shared and seen a man be healed. They got arrested for what they did, preaching in the name of Jesus. After they were arrested, they were told by the Jewish high council, the Sanhedrin, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They left that experience. They went to where the other believers were, and they said, we need you to pray. We need you to pray that we'll keep on preaching with boldness, that we're not going to be intimidated by what we've just been told. We'll keep on talking about Jesus. And so the church gathers around, and they pray, and the Spirit of God fills them. We talked about how there's one baptism in the Holy Spirit. When we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we are placed into the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is placed inside of us, and that's referred to in the New Testament as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But while there's one baptism, there are multiple infillings of the Holy Spirit. And so these Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 32 of Acts chapter 4, he begins to show us what this filling of the Spirit looks like. Back up to verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So they've been filled yet again with the Spirit, and they speak the Word of God with boldness. We saw in verse 30, the preceding verse, that their prayer to God was, Would you stretch out your hand to heal? and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, or through the authority of your holy servant, Jesus. So they're asking for the infilling of the Spirit, and they're asking to see healing, and they're asking to see signs and wonders. 
Now, when you ask God for something in accordance with His will, He answers. And in verse 32, we're going to see these signs and wonders. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to Him was His own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Now there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph who was also called or nicknamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now we see in this answer to prayer, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? We see in that answer to prayer the heart of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit really wants to do in us and what the Holy Spirit wants to do among us. And my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. I invite you, if you would, to follow along and take some notes. The heart of the Holy Spirit, first thing the Spirit of God does, verse 32, is unity. Look at the kind of unity that they had. It says they had one heart and they had one soul. Now, I said earlier that they had prayed and asked God for a sign and a wonder. And we tend to think signs and wonders are going to be something that's just, you know, really out there, almost like some kind of science fiction type of experience. So we say, well, we don't see many signs and wonders today because we're not seeing God just step in and do all these great big things that blow our socks off. But if you look at what they did there, you see, the first sign and wonder I believe God wants to do is helping us be unified, getting along with each other, and being intricately connected to each other. This sign and this wonder that he does here is a sign and the wonder of relationship. It says that they were, verse 32, of one heart and one soul. The word heart there is the idea of thinking in one way, thinking with the same purpose is basically the idea. And what was their thinking? Together they were saying, our purpose is to honor and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. That is the overriding purpose of everything we're about. The second purpose is to value each other, to help each other, to come alongside of each other's lives and get involved with each other. One heart and one soul. The soul speaks of the emotions. He's talking about the thinking capacity. They were of one purpose, one mind, one will. But their their emotions were caught up in it also. Felt the same way together. There was no drama in that early church. You know, nowadays we talk about having drama kings and drama queens and everybody into drama. What's our drama all about? Drawing attention to myself. I want people to see me and hear me. It's all about me. And you see, when he takes over and we have the one heart and the one soul, it's not about us anymore. It is about Jesus. It is about what honors Jesus and glorifies Jesus and advances his kingdom and his cause and his purpose. This was a unity produced by the Holy Spirit. It was a unity that caused them to stick with each other even when they disagreed with each other. Now, his unity doesn't mean that we all agree together on everything all of the time. 
I like to say, if you get two Baptists together, you're going to have three opinions. We do not... The idea here is that we don't agree on everything, and we have to think the same way on everything. The idea is what I call priority, and the priority is twofold. The first priority is not, of course, that you agree with me on everything or I agree with you, but our first priority is to honor and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus and what brings honor to Him and what brings attention to Him is number one. And the second is that I honor you and that I value you. And we'll talk about that in a moment in more detail. The oneness that they shared here was a oneness of desire. It was a oneness of imagination. When the Holy Spirit of God takes work among us and takes over among us, one of the wonders He produces is that we begin to move in what the Spirit of God, I like to call holy imagination. We start imagining what God can do through us and around us. Joe was talking earlier about how our young people left shrimp last year at Hampton Roads, and on the way back they begin to say, you know, let's think about what we can do in Rocky Mount. What we've seen God do in Hampton Roads, can He do in a similar community in Rocky Mount? That is a holy imagination. We begin to imagine what God is going to do. And by the way, when you start moving in holy imagination, you're going to find yourself thinking things and saying things that people are going to look at you and think you're crazy, and you're going to look in your face in the mirror and think you're crazy for coming up with that. Because whatever God comes up with is going to look crazy to us human beings. That's part of the proof that it's a God thing. They had that holy imagination to go out there and serve the Lord together, and then they valued one another. And they valued one another just because they were fellow believers. Now, if we're not careful, culture conditions us to value one another based on how much we like each other and what appeals to us about one another. So, for example, if we like the same stuff, then we value each other, and I value you. If you don't like the same stuff I like, I don't necessarily value you. As much, at least. We form cliques when we start doing that. Well, you think like I think. You talk like I talk. You like the same stuff that I like. So we hang together, and we form a clique. And what happens when we form a clique? Usually we form a clique, we start looking at everybody that's not in our clique, and we start criticizing them or distancing ourselves from them or looking down on them because they're not our group. And that stuff forms in our lives really early in life. In school, when we're even in elementary school, we start sort of drifting towards the other students that are like us. By the time we get to high school, the athletes hang out with the athletes and the nerds hang out with nerds and, and on and on it goes. And then we get to be adults. We play the same game all over again and it's so easy to just carry that into the body of Christ. But you see, what they were doing is not looking at each other and saying, I value you because we share this or we share that or you're like me, you like the same things I do, you make me cool if I hang out with you. They looked at each other and they said, you've got value to me simply because you're my brother in Jesus, simply because you're my sister in Jesus. In fact, if you're different from me, that could even draw us closer together because we've got to work a little bit more to get closer together. But we share Jesus together. And if we share Jesus, then that's the all-important thing. And if we've got the Holy Spirit, then we can find a way to work through what is different among us. Notice verse 35, what they did. 
It says that they went and they sold what they had and they laid it at the apostles' feet. That was a symbol of submission to spiritual authority. We recognize the authority God's placed over us. And when we do that, that develops unity within the body of Christ. Verse 34, it says that there was not a needy person among them. Now, some of the believers in those days, when they tried, when they decided to follow Jesus, they got ostracized from their families. They lost their jobs. Their businesses got boycotted. And they were hurting financially. And so these believers looked at their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they didn't say, well, that's your problem. Hope you get through it. God bless you. I'll throw a prayer. They said, hey, we're going to do what we got to do to help you get through this tough time. There were folks there that were also hangovers from the Feast of Pentecost. They'd gotten filled with the Holy Spirit. They were hanging there. They needed help. And so they were doing what I call groupthink over individual thing. They had a tremendous sense of being connected to each other. I want you to write this down. The Spirit of God, when He filled them, enabled them to realize this truth, that satisfaction in life is in relationships, not stuff. Satisfaction in life is in relationships. It's not in stuff. If we're not careful, we end up living lonely, isolated lives because we think satisfaction is in stuff and not in quality relationships. Our identity gets wrapped up in our stuff. We are somebody because of the house we live in, or the part of town we live in, or the kind of clothes that we wear, or the career that we've gone into, or our perception of being successful. Have you ever gotten one of those Christmas letters from somebody where you open it up And as you begin to read it, you discover that their dog is even making straight A's in school. I mean, they just go on and on and on about how great life is and everything they're doing is just magnificent and and their kids, they couldn't be any more wonderful and, and on and on it goes. And as you read the letter and you think about your life, you want to just take their letter and rip it up or burn it or stomping on or something, because it's like, man, I'm not living the life that they're living. Have you ever had somebody that you knew in the past? I had a guy I went to college with, and uh, he and I were good friends, and he became an attorney. And I became a pastor. And I got word on him a few years after we'd both gone into our career levels. And somebody was telling me all about this guy. And they were telling me the kind of car he was driving. And it was a nice car. And they were just telling me about, you know, what was breaking in his direction. And I love to say I could rejoice with him in what was happening, but I did not rejoice with him in what was happening. I began to envy him for what was happening. I had my beat-up Dodge Swinger, and he had his, I don't know if it was Audi or what it was, but he was driving around, etc. You see, we get our identity so wrapped up in the stuff And what they had realized is it's not in the stuff. That doesn't have to define who I am. 
It doesn't have to give you my sense of worth and value and significance. I don't have to walk around judging everybody by what they've got, and I don't have to be judged or receive their judgment of what I have or don't have. Because it's in the relationships, not in the stuff. And if you walked into the early church at that time, what you would have found is a group of people who were not placing value on people because of how successful they were, all the stuff they had. It was just because you're you. Just because you're created by God. Just because you are a brother or a sister in Christ. We play that game sometimes by who's new and who's old. If you're new to the situation, we're not too sure about you. If you've been here forever and we've known you forever, then we know you're valuable. And so we put a little group together based on how long we have known people. And when we do that, we just miss the new stuff that God's trying to do in our lives. And notice verse 36. They got a guy by the name of Joseph. And the apostles give him the nickname Barnabas, which is a way of honoring people in those days. And it says that Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus. Why in the world does he bother to tell us he was a Levite from Cyprus? Because the Levites had responsibility to keep the temple clean. In other words, that's a glorified way of saying that he was a janitor in the temple. If you've gone up to the temple, he's a guy that's taken out the trash and sweeping the place out. Also, they had responsibility to provide music at festivals. So to use nowadays, if you went to a festival in those days particularly down at the temple, you're going to see Barnabas show up early and sweep the place out, take out the garbage, dust the place, make sure it's clean, and then he gets behind the music thing and he's the DJ for the, whatever is going down, all right? So that, that's Barnabas. And they nickname him Barnabas because he's the son of encouragement. He's the guy that's encouraging everybody. The guy who's sweeping the place out, taking out the garbage, playing the DJ, he's the guy who's encouraging folks. Listen, if the Lord ever takes where you and I are and He humbles us, it's so He can enable us to be an encourager because when we are wrapped up in ourselves and pride, we don't encourage too many people. We do a good job of discouraging people, but we don't do that much of it encouraging people. Well, this guy who's the sweeper, the janitor, and the DJ, he's the guy who's the son of encouragement. He's the guy that when you show up at the temple, he's got the big smile, and he's welcoming you there. And he's the guy who's living out what they're talking about. In fact, Acts 11, verse 24 says that Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. The way he demonstrated being filled with the Holy Spirit was not walking around and telling everybody, I'm so filled with the Holy Spirit. The way he demonstrated being filled with the Holy Spirit was not going around the church and people looking at him and saying, man, he's so gifted and he's so talented. He's got all the spiritual gifts. He's somebody. He wasn't somebody who could walk up and blow you away with all the Bible verses he knew. He demonstrated being filled with the Holy Spirit by sweeping and by dusting and by taking out trash and by providing some good music for people to enjoy. By coming alongside of folks and encourage them and say, hey, I go the distance with you and you got a need, I'll do everything I can to help you with your need. Even if that means if i got to give up some stuff I've got to help you out. That's what the fullness of the Holy Spirit looks like. Now notice next, verse 33. <clears throat> it says that the apostles were giving their testimony. About what? About the resurrection of Jesus. They were giving their testimony about the resurrection of Jesus. 
It's an interesting word here when it talks about they were giving their testimony about Jesus. It's a financial word. It speaks of being in debt. And the idea is you just keep having to pay it and pay it and pay it. And it's the concept that they just kept talking about Jesus being raised from the dead and kept talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, why were they doing that? Several reasons. First of all, there was a religious group in those days called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the ones that got Peter and John in trouble in the first place. Because the Sadducees said there is no resurrection. So when Peter and John go around talking about the resurrection of Jesus, it really agitated the Sadducees, and that's why they had them thrown in jail. So what did Peter and John do? They go right back into the temple area, and they get right back in the same place, and they start doing what? Talking about how Jesus has been raised from the dead. Because the Holy Spirit of God always points to a resurrected, alive Jesus. A lot of time in church, we sing and we talk about the cross just about every Sunday. But often, we sort of delegate the resurrection primarily to Easter. That is not what the early church did. When the early church got filled with the Holy Spirit, they talked about the resurrection every time they got together. The resurrection and the cross are equal He died on the cross, but he rose three days later from the grave. The resurrection is the center of our faith. Have your Bibles. You'll be telling me the 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, beginning with verse 17. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, and verse 17. The Apostle Paul is writing here to the church at Corinth. And this whole section, 1 Corinthians 15, is on the resurrection. So I'm just going to cue in on a few verses. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, he says your faith is just basically a waste of time and you're still in your sin, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ or who have died knowing Jesus have perished. In other words, when a believer dies, our eternal fate is tied, grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I couldn't think for a better place for my eternity to be grounded in, in the resurrection of Jesus. Then also, you have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is saying that if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then of everybody out there, we ought to be felt sorry for. We're We're pitiful without the resurrection. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Why do the apostles talk so much about the resurrection? Why was it constantly on their mouth? Because in the resurrection, God validated Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, and He validated everything Jesus said and everything that Jesus did. God would not have raised 
a lunatic from the dead. If Jesus was just lying about being the Son of God, then why in the world would he have raised him from the dead? The resurrection was God's way of validating everything that Jesus said and Jesus did. And the resurrection meets every criteria for an actual historical event. Why do they talk about the resurrection? Because the resurrection is the place of our hope. In the resurrection, Jesus conquered death, He conquered hell, He conquered sin, and He conquered the grave. And we have a future because of the resurrection. We anticipate His second coming because He rose from the dead. Because Jesus was resurrected, He is alive, and He is not just alive, He is alive and present, which means I can encounter Him, I can experience Him, I can live every day with an anticipation that I'm going to experience Him. Because He's alive, even when you do not anticipate experiencing Him, you will experience Him. Even when you run away from Him, He will run after you, and you will experience in Him without desiring necessarily to experience Him. Because He is alive, when you and I decide we're going to go out and do our own thing, He has this nasty little way of showing up in the middle of it and saying, hey, I'm alive, I am here, and I know I wasn't invited, but guess what? That's what resurrection life looks like, and I'm here, I'm in the middle of it, and you need to recognize me and get right with me and walk with me because he is resurrected. When you and I go through those deep, dark, lonely times in life, it's not so deep because he pulls us up. Paul said, no matter where you go, the love of God follows you. It is not so dark because we're with the light of the world, and his light is what burst out of the tomb that morning, and it's not so lonely because Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Because he is resurrected, it means that when we do go through that time of death, it means that for the believer who has died, we have hope. We have hope we're going to see them again. We have the hope of knowing that they are in His care. He's taking care of it. He can do a whole lot better job than we can because He has risen from the dead. It means that when our time comes as a believer and you and I die, we know that, as Billy Graham said, we really haven't died. We've just changed our address because of the resurrection. We The main thing is we just got to start living like resurrection people. Our identity has got to become that of a resurrection people. Who are we? We are not a people that are getting beat up by the culture, knocked down by the devil, and our best days are behind us. We are a people who serve a risen Lord, who conquered everything that, that could have been conquered, who is alive today, who is going to be alive tomorrow, and even if I feel dead on the inside, His life can produce life in me to live today in the hope of His resurrection. And I also know that when I pray for people who walked away from Him, who are screwed up their lives and messed up, that it breaks my heart, that it is a resurrected, alive Jesus that I am praying to and asking to walk in their life, to speak to them, and to do for them what you and I cannot do in their lives. Some of you I'm talking to this morning, you've got some people you've been praying for and praying for and praying for, and you are trying to change them. Don't try to change them. Let Him change them. We can't do what only God can do. But what we can do is take them before the Lord in prayer. 
and say, Lord, if you've got the power to walk out of the grave, you've got the power to go at work in their life and to change them. And some of you I'm talking to this morning that you feel dead on the inside, you just need to allow His resurrection power to break loose inside of you. Now, I want to... I want you to use your imagination with me. It's Sunday morning. You're in Jerusalem. And you're going to get up and go to church. And as you approach that place where these group of believers are gathered, wouldn't have been in a building like this, would have been in a home somewhere. You walk in the door, and as you walk in the door, there's this guy who greets you. And he entered, sticks out his hand and he says, Hey, it's so good to have you today. My name's Joseph. But everybody around here calls me Barnabas. And he's got a smile on his face the size of Pharaoh Mountain. And he says, Come on over here. We got some refreshments for you. And you look around, you notice a place that's just really nice and clean and it smells good. And this guy just makes you feel right at home. And as the day progresses, he cracks a joke or two. Now, he's not the guy who teaches the Bible lesson because that's not what Barnabas does. That's not his thing. So he's not the teacher. But he sits there and he'll throw in a thing or two during the lesson. During prayer time, he seems very interested in what everybody's prayer request is, and he even asks questions about how he can help people out with a particular request that they might have. When it's over with, he walks over to you and thanks you for being there and says he really enjoyed having you today, and if you need him, give him a holler. He'll be glad to help you out. And you walk out of there that day, and, and the main thing that, that struck you was this guy named Barnabas. Now why was Barnabas Barnabas? Because Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the way you act when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Why was Barnabas Barnabas? Barnabas was, was who he was because Barnabas knew that he served a Jesus who was resurrected. And Jesus had showed up in his attitude and Jesus had showed up in his hand when he shook hands with people and Jesus had showed up on his face when he smiled and Jesus had showed up in his attitude with it being good and positive. And because Jesus was just sort of breaking loose, I like to say he had Holy Ghost, you know, breakout all over him. He had the Spirit of God hives on. And when people, you notice when people came in there that sooner or later they went to Barnabas because they enjoyed being encouraged by Barnabas. Barnabas was a sign of the Holy Spirit's work. He was a wonder at what Spirit of God can do. And folks, I think what God wants to do in filling us with His Spirit is He wants to make us into a Barnabas type of person. Someone who knows how to take the power of the resurrection and encourage people. Let's pray. 
Lord, we want to ask that you would help us to become like Barnabas. A servant, Lord, who takes joy in the sweeping and the dusting and the trash taken out. The painting and the nailing and whatever else has to be done. The God that you would help us to be like Barnabas. Just to come alongside people and offer friendship. And the Lord live like you really have risen from the dead. Jesus, teach us to be like that. And Lord, would you break out in us and through us. God, we want to draw people to you by the joy of the Lord that's in us. Thank you that you are making us and calling us to be a resurrection people. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus in just a moment as we sing, I want to invite you to walk the aisle of this church and give your life to Jesus today. Let Him begin a process of changing you and making you into to what He wants you to be. If you sense that God's calling you to become a part of our church family, we invite you to come and join us here as we serve the Lord together. Since God's calling you into ministry, answer and surrender to that call. Lord, have your way with us now, we pray, as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing and come if you will.